0: May the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Such a blessing to be back in beautiful Mesa, Arizona. Great. For those of you that I've not had a chance to meet personally, my name is Greg Anderson, and I live in College Station, Texas, and I'm an Arizonan on weekends. <laughs> Arizonian, I guess I should say, on weekends. But uh, we'll be continuing to work with the church at least, at least through January. We'll see what God does, uh, hopefully, prayerfully. We, uh, we uh, would love to make an announcement about your next preaching minister at that point, but it's up to God. The timeline is up to God so we trust him in all things for those of you who uh, may be new to not only the Mesa Church of Christ you may be new to church maybe there's some folks in here this morning who've never been in a church building before and you may be asking what in the world are you people doing why do you do that and and what's that about um, if you would be willing To just sit down and have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Would you just raise your hand if you just would. I'll I'll have a conversation with you about Jesus. Okay. So I just want you to look around the room really carefully. There's a lot of people in this place. That would just love to have a conversation about Jesus. Why this church does what it does. A couple things I want you to know is. We believe that there is more than just this life. We believe that when our physical bodies die, that our spiritual body lives, and this body will be resurrected in in a, in a new and glorified state. I believe that Scripture tells us that. So, so we're going to live forever. We believe that as Christians but we believe it is through the life-giving power of Jesus Christ as we're going to see here today. And you may think well, that's really far out or that's really a strange concept, but, but it gives us hope that this is more than just a cosmic accident, that somehow or another random particles emerged and just collided and we're just nothing but a lump of lucky cells. We believe there's more to it than that, that there's a creator. And so when we talk about sin and righteousness and what seems to be appropriate and what's not and what's good and what's not, we share all of those messages in love. Sometimes people who are new to the church have heard things like Christians are just so judgmental and Christians are just so angry and Christians are just so this fill in the blank. But I want you to know true Christians, true disciples of Jesus, as we're going to see in the scripture today, are motivated by love. We're motivated by love. And if we challenge you when it comes to sin, or we, we, we push back on things that don't honor God or or are holy, it's not that we're out to get you or that we're people who love to wag fingers in your face. That's not it at all. We love you. And because we believe we are gonna live forever, we wanna all do that together. And the only way to do that together, at least as we understand the word of God is to trust Jesus Christ as the Son of God, believe in Him, be baptized into Him, and, and live for Him as His disciples. And as you as a church think about it, I, I just really believe truly that God put this on my heart this week, and I just want to speak this this morning for whatever it's worth. Don't, don't be a church that is so concerned about issues. Churches that are concerned about issues are churches that die. Be concerned about people. Be concerned about people. Live truth as best you understand it. Discern it together. Be in the Word together. Pray together. Process together. Anybody in this room, anybody's life ever been a mess? Anybody? Anybody's life ever been a mess? Yeah. Yeah. So we're all in this together and praise God. We all have gifts to share. Praise God. So whether it's the teacher's meeting afterward or some other way to serve, your elders are going to be talking more about that over the next few weeks. So when those opportunities arise, take advantage of them. Because that's how we express, in part, the love of God as as followers of Jesus. Um, Over the past several weeks, your elders and I have been doing... Uh, a lot of hard work on mission and vision. And we've invited the search team to be part of that conversation to kind of be an initial sounding board. And today we want to think out loud with all of you just a little bit, put some new words and some new phrases into play that hopefully are going to really get some traction here at the Mesa Church of Christ and position you to live into a future that your shepherds are discerning as leaders of this body. So we use terms like vision and mission, and a lot of corporate, uh, you know, uh, corporations use those kinds, of, those kinds of words. But there's actually a biblical precedent. As a matter of fact, Jesus invites us to be part of the great co-mission, right? So it's a very biblical concept. Um, but what do we mean by the terms? Well, classically speaking, vision is just kind of looking into the future. Kind of looking out there and seeing 10 years from now, what do we see this church being like and, and how are we impacting the community and what difference are we making? And mission is what gets you there. The mechanisms, the ministries, the processes, the plans. And so some organizations will combine these and they will have a hybrid mission vision statement or some organizations have a vision statement and the mission statement complements it. There's all different kinds of ways to uh, to look at how this plays out, and there really is no wrong way. Basically, it's just whatever sticks for you as a congregation. And I'll say more about that here in just a bit. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the mission components, the how we get there piece. But today, I just really want to kind of establish a strong foundation and prepare you as a church to focus on the future, to become a church Um, that your elders envision through prayer, through study of the word, uh, through ministry, and through your feedback, the surveys that you participated in, the prayers that you've been praying, the, the conversations you've been having, all of that contributes to getting us where we are today. So a question I just want to process initially is how did we get here? Well, we got here because first there were those who paved the way over the years. In various leadership positions, previous ministers, previous elders, uh, current ministers, elders, uh, deacons, and many, many other ministry leaders and, and members of this body. We got here through your feedback and through your prayers. Um, we got here through your elders' commitment to the Word of God and to doing everything they can to reach um, as many others as you can while at the same time shepherding you well. And we got here through lots of conversations and through lots of prayer. What we're sharing with you today is the result of what I've seen as proactive leadership. We're here as a result of proactive leadership. And it's probably not in its final iteration, uh, but it's close. And it provides not just a framing ...for this church's future expenditure of energies, but also creates connections between your head and your heart and your hands. Um, And as the search team does its work, they will look for the candidate whose head and heart and hands are most aligned with the values and expressions of this mission of the Mesa Church of Christ. So when we think vision, we think broader. We think big term and your big picture. Your elders um, prayed through and studied through and, and dialogued through what seems to be an anointing of God on this body, a specific trajectory on which he wants us to focus. And it is glorifying God through the power of the gospel There's so many power sources that we seem to be wanting to plug into these days, but your shepherds believe that the primary power in this life is the power of the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Now, this vision will probably not be published. It probably will be more of an internal driver. What you will see talked about more over the next several weeks is what we refer to as the mission statement. The how to. How are we going to become people who glorify God through the power of the gospel, whether it's in word or whether it's in deed, whether it's in ministry, whatever it is, how are we going to do that? Well, your elders want this to be a place where people can grow in Christ, where people can serve and love, and where people can be equipped for life and or equip others for life. And you thought you just took a survey. That's what you thought, right? Well, I want you to notice how all the feedback that you gave helped funnel these conversations and frame these conversations to give this church an opportunity to allow these overarching uh, values, movements, uh, placeholders, whatever phrases we want to use, characteristics of what this church wants to be about to uh, show others what they are being asked to be a part of. As they become disciples of Jesus and grow as disciples of Jesus. So next Sunday, we'll talk more about those three pieces. Today, I want to set more of a theological framework for why we're doing what we're doing. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, how this is going to hopefully stick uh, in your head and in your heart and then be expressed through your hands. Several years ago, I wrote, uh, I read a book called Made to Stick. Anybody read that book, Made to Stick? It's actually quite fascinating. Uh, I think one of the guys that wrote it actually was an A&M graduate, so don't, don't hold that against the book. But uh, anyway, um, but these authors, uh, they discuss in this book, Made to Stick, why certain words and certain phrases and certain presentations and certain values stick while others do not. So some phrases stick, but others do not. And, and think about this just in your lifetime. Think about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of advertisements that you have seen, of products that you have purchased, of services that you have used. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna start I'm gonna start a sentence, and not everybody in the room will be able to finish it, but I just want to show you how powerful it is that something can stick. I'll say the first part, you say the second part. Plop plop, fizz fizz. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now, what's that from? It's an old Alka-Seltzer commercial, right? But we heard that over and over and over. Everybody under 30 is asking, what's an Alka-Seltzer? Okay, so (laughs) talk to your parents about it later. They can tell you. All right? Now, I could go on and on and on um, by, you know, uh, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us, right? We could just go on and on and on. There's hundreds of those, thousands of those that we know. Um, So when I read this book, it it forced me to ask a question, what about churches? Why do some churches grow exponentially? Why other churches in similar contexts remain static or they actually go into decline? Why do some church messages stick and some not? Now, one of the stickiest substances that I know and one of the most profound inventions in humanity's existence is duct tape, right? Uh, People have gotten pretty creative with duct tape over the years. Here's a couple of images that I saw. That's actually a duct tape belt. Um, This next picture you're going to see here. Isn't that cool? A belt made out of duct tape. Um, Ladies, you do not need that Louis Vuitton purse. You just need a little duct tape. Okay? That's actually kind of pretty, right? Uh, You kids who go to prom, you can make an entire wardrobe out of duct tape. Okay? Isn't that fascinating? Kind of a cheap date, I guess, on the guy's part. But anyway, uh, I'm not recommending this youth group. Joel, you probably will not want to see this. But uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's another wonderful use of duct tape. Or you could just make uh, a duck, if you want, out of duct tape. Which, by the way, did you know that duct tape was originally called duct tape? Did you know that? D-U-C-K. It's actually from a Dutch word, uh, but it was used in the military. That's how it got its nexus, because ammunition cases were getting water in them, and so they designed duct tape to keep the ammunition dry. So just a little worthless trivia there for your pursuit this morning. So a question I have for you is, what will make the vision of the Mesa Church of Christ stick? What's going to make your vision stick? Amen. (laughs) I heard the word commitment. What's going to help us get from where we are to where we believe God is calling this church? To be a church where people glorify God through the power of the gospel. A church where people are growing in Christ. A church where people are serving in love. A church where people are equipping for life. So Jesus offers some really amazing insights into glorifying God. Again, let's talk this morning a little bit about the theological foundation. Um, He offers some amazing insights to glorifying God through the power of the gospel. In John chapter 13. This is what the text says. So when Judas was gone, Judas just left uh, the dinner, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will only be with you a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. But a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the context of what's going on here. First of all, Judas has just left the entourage, and the apostles are sitting around. They're scratching their heads. What's going on? As treasurer, perhaps they didn't completely understand why he was leaving, but they knew something is awry here. Something isn't the way that it should be. There's this word that is used in the text. It is the word now, and we need to just park here for a few moments as we see what's happening with Judas, Because I think we see in Judas much of what is happening in the hearts and lives of so many in our world today. And why your church's mission to be a loving church and a serving church and an equipping church is so incredibly important. In Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse... 21 Paul writes once you were alienated from God and I wish we had time to read the broader section this morning but we just don't but but Paul explains what happens I think not only in Judas's head and heart but but in all who turn their back on God once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, Paul just briefly mentions it here. He elaborates much more in Romans chapter 1. And I want you to notice what he writes there. Furthermore, just as they, and when he uses the pronoun they, this is who he's talking about. He's talking about those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. If you go back in verse 18 in Romans chapter 1, you'll see, that's who he's speaking about. Furthermore, just as those who suppress the truth by their wickedness did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they ought, so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, evil greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They're disobedient to their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, at the risk of sounding overly harsh and judgmental, does that sound a little familiar? James Bryan Smith, in the book The Good and Beautiful Life, summarizes this text as the six steps of ruin r u i n the six steps of ruin and these are the six steps that he identifies in this text the first is this the turnaway the turnaway i want to be god i'm boss of my life the greatest authority in my life is me and that's where the downfall Starts, go all the way back to the garden. Eve wanted what was best for her in that moment. Adam wanted what was best for him, not yielding to what God commanded them to do. Once I decide I want to be God, there is a second step. And it is that the mind darkens. This is important in the text because if you look in Romans 1, verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. There's another word that can be used in that text and it's the word glorify. Even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and give thanks. When we stop giving glory to god guess what bad things happen bad things happen to our heads and to our hearts the third phase is idolatry and smith makes this observation if we reject god then something else must take god's place and we are designed that way as human beings because all of us are designed in the image of god therefore we are designed To want God, but if we reject God, since we are designed to be creatures of want, we are going to fill it with something else. The fourth phase is God leaves us alone. And this observation is is pretty uh, pretty profound, I think. God's wrath is his righteous stand against sin, which he cannot endorse. So if you choose a life of sin... The loving Father, the Loving Father gives you that free will. He gives you the opportunity if you choose to walk that path. God is not a God of shotgun weddings. You know what I mean by that? He's not going to coerce you to be righteous. No marriage is going to last if it's if it's forced, if it's coerced, it's it's it doesn't make sense. The same thing's true of our relationship with the Father. And I want you to notice the fifth stage. And we just see a continual digression here. But ultimately, pleasure is pursued at all costs. I will wreck every relationship if I have to, to get what I want. Whether it's my relationship with my parents or with my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, whoever it is. And then ultimately, sin reigns. And this is where Smith observes, the final step is the worst And as a natural conclusion to the previous five steps, sin and wickedness become normative, automatic behavior. And our hearts are so calloused at this point that even though we are living in sin, it doesn't feel like it. We've now become so sinful we think everybody else has got the problem. And so as difficult as this passage is to read and as as difficult as it is to see how this plays out in the lives of folks who just initially say, I want to be God of my own life. I'm the supreme authority. That's where it starts. As difficult as that is to read, there is incredibly good news. And that is we do not have to walk this path. We don't have to walk that path. I want you to notice a counter path, another path. That Paul describes in Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 22 in verses following. He says, but now he has reconciled you. He bought you back by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. Satan has no hold over you. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in thee, say that last word with me, gospel, gospel. And what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Stand firm in the good news. And that brings us back to John 13. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Jesus uses the word now in verse 31. And in John's gospel, Jesus is not referred to again as the Son of Man. He's no longer the son of Adam. Now that the betrayal is underway, the great saving act of humankind is in motion. Now, Jesus says, my journey from the cross to the grave to resurrection is in motion. It is a rescue journey. It is the greatest love story ever told. Watch as my father's uh, power is glorified through my suffering. And there's a powerful lesson here for us, I think. How can crucifixion, how can that glorify God? I think the psalmist may have an answer. You may remember this verse in Psalm 30 and verse 5. For God's anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. A friend of mine lost his son to cancer. He was only 23 years old when he passed away. And as difficult as it was and as sad as it was and as awful as that journey was, my friend who I consider to be one of my dearest dearest friends looked at me and he said, "I'm I'm devastated, but God is God. He gets to decide. God is God. He gets to decide." And that's the joy that comes in the morning, even through the most difficult of situations. Jesus continues, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you, so I tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. I want you to notice how Jesus utters this beautiful expression of affection for these grown men, my children he knows the teaching is really difficult but he also wants them to know how truly concerned for them that he is he's going to be with them only for a little while longer and this puzzles the disciples even as it does the jews in chapters 7 and 8 and i want you to notice peter's question in this chapter in verse 36 lord where are you going And they can't understand this teaching right now, but there is teaching they can understand or at least they can begin to practice. And it's the first thing that Jesus turns his attention to, the very subject that defines God himself, and that is love. And so he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everybody will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love what Leon Morris writes here. He says, this is the one place in the gospel where Jesus uses the term new. Jesus is not speaking here of love to all people, but of love within the community of believers. Love itself is not a new commandment. It's actually an old one, Leviticus 19, 18. The new thing appears to be the mutual affection that Christians have for one another on account of Christ's great love for them. When I think about how much Jesus loves me. How can I not but love you? This is to be the distinguishing mark, Morris continues, of Christ's followers. All people will know that they are Jesus' disciples if and only if they love one another. So how are we going to grow in our love for God? Well, the best way to get better at something is to practice it. You just proved that a little bit ago. By singing that song over and over and over. And by the time we got to that chorus the last time, almost everybody in the room was able to sing that song. So how do you get better at something? You practice it. So when you think about this church's mission, practice love. <laughs> practice loving. Practice loving God and worship. Practice more focus and energy and time in prayer. Practice being in the Word. Study more deeply individually collectively serve just serve in the mighty name of jesus you know you've seen more people disengage from service according to the survey that you took earlier and that's a trend that needs to be reversed if you're here to be comfortable you're not going to grow in your capacity to love you know what i do when i get comfortable i go to sleep right comfortable christian that's an oxymoron that doesn't even belong in the same sentence paul writes in romans 12 beginning of verse 9 love must be sincere it's the foundation that jesus is building all of discipleship on love must be sincere hate what's evil cling to what's good be devoted to one another and love there's two different types of love that paul mentions in this passage love must be sincere that um love is uh it's a it's agape love It's unconditional love. The only way to have agape love is to be genuine, to be sincere. Otherwise, it's not love at all. You're just being fake. The Greek word for sincere is anhipokritas, and it has ties to the theater. And it literally means don't wear a mask. Back in this time, there were very few female actors, if any, and so even the male actors would wear masks to play the female parts. And so on stage, the idea of wearing a mask was hypocritical. Pretending to be somebody that you're not. So when we think about this other word, the root word for um, loving one another, genuinely caring for one another, first is agape, the second instance is the word philos. And it's the same word in the root of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love, debatable these days, but uh, nonetheless... A friend, this is a friend who is someone who is dearly loved, someone who is prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond of personal affection. If you put these two words together, this is basically what Paul is saying. Take off your masks and prize one another. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Take off your masks. It's easy for us to look churchy on Sundays, right? But be open with one another. Be honest with one another. Be transparent with one another. And prize one another. That's exactly what Jesus does again and again and again. There's a practical dilemma. We don't have the capacity to love everybody the same ways. But that's okay. There's various degrees of connecting with people. Sometimes we just plant seeds together. That's about as much as I can do with you, given the time limitations Sometimes we're able to walk a mile together. Sometimes we may be able to journey through life together as very, very dear friends. And that's okay. We all all can't express uh, full love for one another all the time. It's just impossible to do that. We see this even in Jesus' own ministry. I mean, think about it. He sends out the 72 in Luke chapter 10. He calls the 12 in Matthew 4. He has a special relationship with three Peter, James, and John, and then there's the one whom Jesus loved. John thirteen, twenty-three. There's a difference in ad hoc connection opportunities, temporary connection opportunities, and deep level commitments that take tremendous amounts of energy and, and commitment and time. But it's never either or, right? It's it's both and. Choosing to connect with other people, that's just simply choosing to put love in action. And sometimes I can do that in just a few minutes, and sometimes I can do that in much, much more deeper and profound ways. But the point is, I need to be doing it. I need to be trying to do everything I can to connect people in good news. Connection can result in growth, and growth can result in connection. So we began today, I ask a question, what will it take to make the vision of the Mesa Church of Christ stick What's going to make it stick? Well, I would say it starts with finding a handful of people to stick to. And your elders are going to talk more about that over the next several weeks. But I just want to encourage you, think about where can I serve? Where is one place that I can serve? And then serve in that place. I want to encourage you, never walk in and sit down. Never just walk in and sit down. Always walk in and look around. Look around. Who can I bless today? Who can I pray with? Who can I pray for? Welcome one another into your lives. In short, my challenge to you today is to be leaving, living, breathing, walking, talking, spiritual, duct tape. Duct tape comes in all shapes and sizes. Just like the people of God. The difference is, God's love is not a temporary fix, right? Duct tape works because it's coated with adhesive. God's love works because He created containers that are designed to pour that love out wherever we go. So... The time has come for Christians to stop whining and start shining, to stop ranting and to start planting, to stop shoving and to start loving and to stop complaining and start containing the fullness of God's glory no matter what so that others can see him in us. And even if you as a church will just simply begin taking baby steps through glorifying God through the power of the gospel, then surely there is hope for revival in this city. Next week, we're going to talk through how you as a body of believers can begin living out your new vision through growing in Christ, serving in love, and equipping for life. I'm so excited about that sermon. I already wish it was next Sunday. But we're going to wait till then. We're going to share a song together. If there's anything on your heart you want to share with this church this morning, a request to be baptized, a request for prayers, a request for uh, conversation related to some struggles that you're having, a couple of shepherds will be right down here at the front. and be happy to meet you. Let's stand together. Let's sing.